Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we continue our consideration of 1 Peter for the evening sermon series. And by the way, just a reminder, on the next Lord's Day, we won't be having an evening service. We'll be having an afternoon service after the fellowship meal, which we encourage you to join us for and stick around for. But tonight, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 is our passage. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8 to fill out the context a little bit. Uh, This continues to be uh, Peter's opening doxology here in his first epistle. So let us hear God's holy word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Our focus will be on verses 10 through 12 tonight. Speaking of Jesus, Peter writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's seek the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have raised up prophets and apostles through whom we have received your very word. And we thank you that by your spirit and in your providence, your word has been inscripturated in the canon of Holy Scripture. We thank you, O God, for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, implant within our souls a love for your word, a reverence for the truths of your word. May we, along with the psalmist, say, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. May your word be our meditation, our consideration this evening, and we pray that you would grant us grace to derive spiritual benefit from that which we consider this evening. Bless the proclamation of your word tonight and bless our hearing of your word. May we do so. May we hear your word proclaimed as an act of worship and make our hearts receptive to you. We pray these things through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Title my sermon this evening is The Spirit of Christ in the Old Covenant Prophets. This is the first part, as it'll take a couple weeks to get through uh, this particular section of 1 Peter chapter 1. And there are five words that the children can be listening for in my sermon this evening. The word prophets, inspiration, word, gospel, and truth. Well, dear friends, in our passage for this Lord's Day evening, St. Peter the Apostle touches upon the subject of the biblical prophets. A very important subject. 
and he does so in the course of writing about the wonderful salvation that we believers enjoy through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the setting of what I just read to you from my sermon text for this evening is verses 8 and 9, where Peter is still focusing upon Christ, and he says, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the salvation that Peter has just been speaking of, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now we'll flesh out uh, a little bit this week and more next Lord's Day what specifically all of that means. But this is the context in which our passage uh, comes to us this evening. Now it's important to remember too uh, who, whom Peter is writing to. Remember that Peter is writing this epistle to a group of first century Christians living in Asia Minor who were facing the threat of severe persecution for their Christian faith. And so that being the case, Peter's major concerns in this letter, in this epistle, are to encourage and to fortify these believers to be faithful even in the face of persecution, as well as to provide them with some instructions about living a godly life in the midst of a hostile, ungodly world. In his opening salutation and doxology, Peter has sought to encourage his readers by reminding them of the glorious inheritance of eternal salvation that Christ has won for them. And, he is also, and also in the midst of this doxology, he has spoken to them of both the joys and the trials of the Christian life, which we've considered on recent Lord's Days. Well, in our passage for this evening, the Holy Spirit through Peter reminds us that this glorious salvation, and in particular the Savior who would make it possible, was anticipated and predicted by the Spirit of Christ speaking in and through the Old Covenant prophets. Again, as we are told in verses 10 and 11. Now, in order to set this brief passage in its proper biblical context, in its overall redemptive historical context, what I'll be offering to you this evening is sort of a, uh, some groundwork here. I'll be offering a basic review of both the biblical identification of the prophets and also what the Bible says about the functions of a true prophet of God. And then we will begin to look at what Peter has to tell us in this passage about the searching of the Old Covenant prophets. And then on the next Lord's Day, uh, we consider in more detail what this passage has to teach us about the ministry of the Old Testament prophets to us in the New Covenant Church, as Peter touches upon that subject in verse 12. And so, as we seek to lay the groundwork for appreciating all that is being taught to us here in this passage, let's first consider, beloved, the identification of the biblical prophets. The identification of the biblical prophets. That's the first point in your sermon outline if you're following along in that. Now, question number 15 of the first catechism, which was written for children, and some of you children may know the answer to this question. The question asks, who wrote 
the Bible? Anyone know the answer to that question? Yes, who wrote the Bible? You can, you can speak it out. Very good. The Bible-based answer to that important question is chosen men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Peter himself affirms this truth in his second epistle. If you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, let me just read in that passage, verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 19, he says, after speaking of our Lord's, the glory of our Lord's transfiguration, uh, an event to which Peter was an eyewitness, Peter writes, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do, do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Notice especially verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were, what? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, chosen men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit are those who wrote the Scriptures. And while God certainly used the personalities and the writing styles, the literary conventions, and the historical circumstances of the various biblical writers to communicate His Word to His people, nevertheless, the Holy Spirit was so involved, supernaturally involved, mysteriously involved in the writing process that Peter tells us they spoke as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that the Holy Spirit carried along the biblical authors in their work of writing the Holy Scriptures so that the human authors of the Bible wrote precisely what God, the divine author, intended for them to write, even down to the very last word. We in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church believe in what is called the verbal inspiration of Scripture. We don't believe that the Bible is merely inspired in its thoughts or in its overall contours or message. It is inspired, it is God-breathed, even down to the very last word of the original autographer of Holy uh, Scripture. It is verbally inspired, even down to the very last word. Now, most of the human authors of the Bible were either themselves inspired prophets or apostles, but even those biblical authors who were not technically prophets or apostles were still inspired, still carried along by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. And so, friends, the human authors of the Bible were either prophets themselves or they had received the spirit of prophecy in order to write and compose and edit the biblical books which God called them to produce. And this is why the Holy Scriptures are called the Word of God. They are precisely that. The Word or verbal revelation of Almighty God coming to us through the words of men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of prophecy. The Spirit of prophecy, again, being none other than the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now, since this is the case, there are a number of things that are true about those who are genuine prophets, biblically speaking. 
What is a true prophet of God in the technical biblical sense of that term? Well, friends, a prophet is a person whom God has chosen, called, and inspired to be a bearer of divine revelation. And this is important to understand because there are those around today who would claim to be prophets. And sometimes that term prophet and the term prophetic gets used in a a sort of a non-technical sense. Sometimes today the term the terms prophet and prophetic get applied to individuals who are not technically prophets by the biblical definition of that term. And so for example, if you've studied church history, you would no doubt agree that throughout church history God has at times raised up powerful preachers of the word of God who are sometimes described as prophetic in their preaching because they have been gifted with the uncanny ability to bring the Word of God powerfully to bear upon their contemporary situation, which they confront in their day. And so, for example, I believe that there is a legitimate, though informal sense, in which we could say that the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, was prophetic in his denunciation of the excesses and errors of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Luther powerfully confronted a corrupt church and a corrupt church leadership for their rebellion against the word of God and their departures from the purity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though there is an informal sense in which we can say that Luther was prophetic, Luther was not himself a prophet in the technical, biblical sense of the term, because Luther was not bringing new, fresh, divine revelation to God's people. Luther was simply a minister, a servant. The word minister means servant. He was a servant of the word, and he preached and applied the word to his contemporary situation. Luther would have never claimed to have been a prophet. He never claimed to be bringing new or fresh divine revelation. He simply brought the truth and demands of God's word to bear upon a corrupt and heretical church. He simply applied the teachings of God's word to his own historical setting. But on the other hand, the biblical prophets actually received direct messages from God, messages that they were called to proclaim, messages which were ultimately inscripturated as part of the canon of Holy Scripture. And that is why you will find the phrase, thus says the Lord, or its equivalent some 2,000 or so times in the Old Testament alone. As uh, Calvin Knox Cummings in his wonderful little book, which we use for uh, training church members, uh, his book, Confessing Christ, he describes this as the signature of God, that the Bible contains God's signature, his thus says the Lord throughout its pages. Now, what about today, however? Do we look for prophets in the church today? Well, friends, this is where it's important to understand the flow of of redemptive history. You see, dear ones, with the first advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and with the completion of the New Testament apostolic canon of Holy Scripture, there is no more need today for the biblical office of prophet. Since a prophet is defined, biblically speaking, as a person who is called by God to be the bearer of new and fresh divine revelation, 
It is legitimate to ask questions like, are there still prophets in the church today? Is God still revealing His Word? Is the canon still technically open? Are there continuing new revelations that God is giving His church today? Well, friends, the biblical answer to all of these questions is a loud and clear, emphatic no. You see, the New Testament reveals that Jesus Christ, who as Messiah is the ultimate divine prophet of God's people, Jesus Christ is revealed as God's final word. He is revealed as such, for example, in passages like Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. And I invite you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 1. The author, the inspired author of Hebrews, begins his wonderful epistle by saying these words, and he contrasts how God spoke in Old Covenant times, Old Testament times, he contrasts that with how God has spoken in what he describes as these last days, meaning this new covenant era. He says this, Hebrews 1, verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. But, and here's the contrast, but in these last days, notice, by the way, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians in the first century. We often hear our fellow believers today wondering aloud, I I wonder if we're in the last days. The author of Hebrews would say, we've been in the last days since Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church at Pentecost. These are the last days, and They have been the last days since Christ uh, was glorified at the Father's right hand. But anyways, he goes on to say, but in these last days, how has God spoken? He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and so forth. The revelation that Jesus brought us during His earthly ministry... And after his resurrection, through his appointed apostles and prophets of the apostolic age, is the climax and fullness of divine revelation. In other words, this is God's full and complete word. And that is why there can be no more new revelations from God and therefore no more prophets, at least not in the technical biblical sense of that term. And this is also affirmed in the very last book of the New Testament canon, in the very last chapter of that book. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, contains a statement that is a solemn warning to those who would seek to add to the Word of God. St. John the Apostle writing in Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, while the focus of this warning is on those who would add to or take away from what is written specifically in the book of Revelation. Since the book of Revelation is uh, the last of the New Covenant canon, uh, there is a generic sense in which this could be applied to the entirety of the Scriptures. There is that wonderful hymn, How Firm 
a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. The hymn writer says in that hymn, What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? In other words, what more is there to say? God has spoken his final word in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the word of grace and salvation. The apostles uh, inscripturated that word, and we have that word in the completed uh, canon of Scripture. And because of that, friends, because Jesus Christ and his apostolic representatives, is Jesus Christ himself is God, God's final word. Figures like Muhammad and Joseph Smith, who claimed to be prophets, whose followers claim prophetic status for them, they were not true prophets of God, they were false prophets. And supposed holy books that are added to the Bible, books like the Quran or the Book of Mormon, which claims to be another testament of Jesus Christ. These are not true scriptures. These are not truly the Word of God. These are what I like to call imitation scripture. They were written many, many years after the Bible was completed, many, many years after Jesus had died for our sins, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is reigning at the Father's right hand and has sent His Spirit upon the church and promised to be with His church uh, throughout this present age until He returns again. And so let us not look for another word. God has given us His final word in the Scriptures. But at the time of the old covenant prophets, that word had not been completed because the Lord Jesus, the promised Messiah, had not yet come. And so that brings me to my next point. We've considered the identification of biblical prophets, and we've considered what a true biblical prophet is, but what are the functions of biblical prophets? And we turn our attention to that uh, important subject now. Well, the functions of biblical prophets, if you study the prophetic, if you study the books of Scripture, and especially uh, the prophets, what the prophets did was twofold. They told forth the Word of God, and they also were used by God to predict future events in the history of redemption, events that would culminate in the person of the Messiah and in the Messianic age and ultimately the consummation of God's kingdom. And so those functions included what we could call what we might call forthtelling as well as foretelling. Let's first of all consider forthtelling. Biblical prophets spoke forth the word of the Lord to their contemporaries. And that is very clear, very plain. If you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you read the old covenant prophets, they they spoke, yes, they spoke uh, about events that were yet on the horizon in the future of God's dealings with His people, but they also confronted their contemporaries, calling their contemporaries to repentance and renewed covenant fidelity. And so the biblical prophets often acted as God's prosecuting attorneys to charge His people with sin in violating God's covenant and to call them to renewed repentance and covenant obedience. Their first function was to confront men and women in their own day with the demands and the promises of God, which is applied specifically to them. But the word which these prophets spoke forth to their contemporaries is still God's word to us today. 
Because we, brothers and sisters, are united with the ancient people of God through the one covenant of grace, and therefore the general truths of the word of the Lord that apply to them still apply to us today. The question has been raised, does God still speak today? And the answer is absolutely, absolutely yes. God speaks to us today through what he has already spoken to his people in ages past. God speaks to us today through that which he has spoken once and for all in his holy word. And again, that final word is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is fulfilled in Christ. Someone has uh, the saying, perhaps you've heard this saying, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. Because the Bible is God's word. And it continues to be God's word. It is, uh, it is God's word in its very nature. And in that word, God the Holy Spirit speaks forth the truth into our hearts and souls. But the biblical prophets also were called by God to foretell future events that were on God's timetable for the, for the future of redemptive history. The prophets not only spoke a word from God that confronted the issues of their contemporaries, but at times in redemptive history, they also received messages from God which pertained to future events in God's unfolding plan. They predicted future events which were significant for the history of God's plan of salvation, especially the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, and the blessings of salvation that would come in the Messianic age. And this is the particular function of the Old Testament prophets that the Apostle Peter is specifically highlighting here in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Now, given the limitation of time and given the amount of material that is packed into these few verses, we're just going to consider one more point this evening from verses 10 and 11. Beloved, let us consider the searching of the Old Covenant prophets, the searching of the Old Covenant prophets. Again, getting back to our text for today and hopefully having laid a foundation for appreciating this passage in, in greater depth, Peter writes of this salvation that he has been speaking of. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, which prophets is he speaking about? Are he, he's speaking clearly in this context about the Old Testament prophets, the prophets whom God had raised up in the Old Covenant era before the coming of Christ. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Earlier in the service this evening, I read to you from that very familiar passage on the suffering servant, Isaiah chapter 53, which we rightly, the, the Christian church has rightly and correctly understood to be a prediction of the sufferings of Jesus, the Messiah, the sufferings, the messianic sufferings of Jesus as the suffering servant. And those, uh, that, that prediction was fulfilled to the letter, indeed. But we may ask ourselves, did Isaiah understand what he was saying. Certainly the Spirit inspired him to write and to proclaim uh, what he wrote there in that famous passage. Uh, but did, 
did Isaiah fully understand what he was writing? The indication of our passage this evening is that though he was inspired to write that, and though it was a clear prediction of the sufferings of the coming Messiah, yet, again, Isaiah was writing from an Old Covenant perspective. He was uh, writing from the standpoint, living before the incarnation and cross and resurrection of Christ. Again, as I'd mentioned earlier, in the context of this passage, Peter has been speaking of the salvation that Christ has won for us. The this salvation to which Peter refers in verse 10 means the final stage of our salvation. He's speaking about the consummation of our salvation on that final day. It seems that most Bible scholars agree, as I mentioned, that the prophets whom Peter is referring to here are the Old Testament prophets. All the way from Noah, who is a prophet, and Abraham, and Moses, all the way through Malachi, those prophets. Not the New Testament prophets that were uh, found periodically during the apostolic era, as again, as the context would seem to make clear. Peter speaks here about how these Old Testament prophets, who were the very bearers of the Word of God, how they searched and inquired carefully to discern what the Spirit was revealing about Christ. And notice, notice how he describes in verse 11 the Holy Spirit who predicted the sufferings of Christ. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ was active in His revelation through the Old Covenant prophets, even as the Spirit of Christ was active in the New Testament apostles and prophets. And so, friends, what is Peter telling us here? Why is it that these prophets needed to search and inquire about the Christ of whom they prophesied? Didn't God already reveal the truth about Christ to them? Well, we learn here in this passage some very significant truths about the Old Testament prophets. They were indeed inspired by God. They wrote and spoke as God carried them along. And they wrote the very truth of God, the inerrant truth of God. But as Bible commentator Dr. Edwin Blum summarizes verses 10 and 11, Dr. Blum writes the following. He says, This salvation was the subject of the Old Testament prophecies of the messianic sufferings and glories. The prophets not only spoke to the situation of their contemporaries, but they also spoke of the longed-for messianic times. In predicting the future... They did not always understand their utterances. How could they? Jesus had not yet come. He goes on to say, The prophets longed to see the messianic time and so searched into what they could know of it. Oh, beloved, the Old Testament prophets searched and inquired because they often did not fully comprehend or understand the prophecies about the Messiah which God had revealed to them. They saw... They saw dimly. They saw the truth. They recorded the truth. They spoke the truth. But again, until Christ had come and fulfilled that which they predicted, the full light of truth had not, uh, redemptive truth was, was still needing to be searched out by them. And even when there were glimmerings of insight, the prophecies remained veiled and mysterious again until Jesus Christ came and fulfilled them. Now, we'll leave it here, but what are some of the applications? What are some of the lessons that we can learn from this? 
Let me just make a couple of points in closing. Beloved, the main implication of these verses is that as believers living in this messianic new covenant era, this era after the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, we are more privileged than even the Old Testament prophets were. Now you say, but pastor, they, were, they received direct divine revelation. They received new and fresh revelation from God. Isn't that a great privilege? It certainly was a great privilege. But they knew in part, and they prophesied in part. Even though they received direct revelations from God himself, they often did not fully understand or comprehend the full implications of their prophecies, which we have the privilege of understanding today, again, because Christ has already come. And dear friends in Christ, let us never feel inferior to the prophets simply because we don't receive new direct revelations from God. We've already received his final word in Jesus Christ and in the completed canon of Holy Scripture. In this book, the canon of Holy Scripture, Old and New Testament, we have the full picture that they did not have, though they were raised up by God to serve in their generations. And so in Christ, again, dear friends in Christ, let us never feel inferior. After all, in Christ we possess the fullness of truth that the Old Testament prophets only knew in shadow and type and prophecy. Let us be satisfied with the truth of Jesus Christ as we have it in God's completed word, the Bible. And let us not be longing for or looking for another word from God. God has spoken his final word in Jesus Christ. Are you not satisfied with Christ? The God-man, the word made flesh, the perfect, all-sufficient Savior of sinners. This passage also serves to underscore the truth that Christ is the unifying theme of the whole Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As Peter shows us in, in verse 11, Christ was active. The Spirit of Christ was active even in Old Testament times, for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ as he is the Spirit of the Father as well. The Old Testament anticipates Christ. The New Testament fully reveals Him. The Old Testament prophets pointed forward to Christ. The New Testament apostles explained Him. As the saying goes, Christ is in the Old Testament concealed, but in the New Testament revealed. The Old Testament prophets pointed us forward to Christ but the New Testament apostles explained him. Dear listeners, do you know the biblical Christ who was predicted by the Old Testament prophets? Do you know him as your Savior, your Messiah, your Lord? And finally, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well is useful and important for us as Christians to read, to study, to learn, to meditate upon. Sometimes we hear the expression, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, the New Testament is wonderful, but I would challenge us. Let us be whole Bible Christians because this whole book from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is the Word of God. And so let us read it. Let us not just read our favorite parts. Let us not just pick and choose. I'd encourage you, by the way, as, as we are soon to be in December and we're uh, approaching the end of this calendar year, we have uh, 
Bible reading plans that can take you through the Bible in either a year or two years, available in the foyer on the literature rack there. Pick one of those up if you don't have a Bible reading plan. I'd encourage you to read through the entirety of Holy Scripture on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be every year or even every two years, but do it regularly. Do it on a, get the big picture. Don't just focus on the trees. Uh, don't lose the forest for the trees. Get the big picture as well. Read the scriptures as a whole. Be a whole Bible Christian and not just a New Testament Christian. Again, dear friends, we can praise God for the Old Covenant prophets. They minister to us. They serve us. They teach us about the Christ to come. And they help us from this side of of the incarnation and cross and resurrection. They help us to gain deeper insight into the person and work of our Savior. But let us also praise God that in the Bible we have his complete word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken your word to us. We thank you that long ago in ages past you spoke to the fathers of old by the prophets, but now in these last days you have spoken to us in your Son, and you have spoken to us the final word. And we thank you that in Christ and through faith in him, it is a word of grace and salvation to all who believe. We pray that these truths would increase and strengthen and deepen our faith and our repentance as well. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. As we close our time of worship tonight, let's rise and we'll sing together 437, how marvelous, how wise, how great, 437.